Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 42 of Trail Society brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. And I'm Keely Henninger. Our queen, Queen Keely, Black King and Champion. Woo, woo, woo. Um, Hilly Goat is traveling today. She's actually en route to the airport as we speak. Um, but that's okay because we are going to talk to you about that Black Canyon and we're bringing on a special guest who we're so excited to chat with as well. But can we just talk a little bit about how crazy the Black Canyon race, the golden ticket race was this weekend? Oh it was gosh, baffling. Yes. It was insane. It was the yeah. craziest race I've ever been a part of. And I feel like it's probably the craziest race to be a spectator of too. Oh yeah. I was in studio from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then I went to Black King and City and yelled my face off. I got in your face and I said, come on, Keely. And then I panicked because I was like, she's not getting to the aid station fast enough. Um, it was a good time, had by all. And then I went to the finish line and I got to see you guys all come through there, all while like continuing to listen to the live coverage in my in my headphone the entire time. Yeah. The live coverage was so cool. I didn't notice all of the drones, but definitely towards the end, the drones out there were a little noisier maybe, or I just was more cognizant and I was like, oh, this is cool. They're this watching is next you. Level. Like, imagine how different this is than road running where, yeah, obviously the, the race is a little more spread out, but you're getting to see these sweeping views of beautiful trail, beautiful terrain. Yeah. The whole time you're watching a race unfold. It's so cool. And we had um, on-course correspondents in Zach Marion and Leah Yingling at all the major aid stations. It was so, so cool. Like Aravipa and Jamil are just doing amazing things with all their races hopefully I'll get to be involved with some of their more live, some, some more live coverage with them, like at Havelina or something in the fall. Like just, I was blown away. It's, they're incredible. Yeah. It was cool. If you can make my like family engaged who aren't as big of runners as a lot of other people, like you're doing something right. Yeah. So on like, speaking of the race itself, I think we had, we had course records set and bro- like broken on both sides, including like, I mean, watching the race Keely, like from our side, Early in the race, like there was 38 men under course record pace. And oh then, it, and then, it, and then it would be like, and then it would be like 30, and then it'd be like 25. Like that's how fast it was. And then on the women's side, like the top, like top three to five of you at any point in time were like on Sage's splits. Like wow. you were on course, like the women were on men's course record time. Like we're talking 10, 15 minutes um, under, under Brittany Peterson's previous course record from 2021 on the course. Like it was, obviously cool conditions mm-hmm. early in the race. Like we'd gotten rain earlier. The trails were in pretty decent shape, I believe for the most part, although that for the frozen cow stuff early can be pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we started off so hot and it was also very, a very stressed group of runners, not speaking for the women, but for the, the front pack of men who I guess sounds like 30 men were under course record, you know, at mile, like maybe 0.6, there's a oh, Tim Ferrix tried to hurdle the People were hurtling the barbed wire. And eventually I just said, guys, you need to chill. We are at 0.6 miles. The race is not being won right now. Like you can wait in line and stop making it dangerous for people. Tim Ferriss got stuck on the fence. I'm pretty sure. That's his own fault. Don't try to climb the fence. You can wait. It's not going to change the race. Like you're at mile 0.6. Yeah. It it, it seemed absolute, like like absolute chaos out there. How many men did we go pick off? Almost all of them. Yeah, you guys. So, yep. Yeah, I think you guys ended up 14th, 15th, and 16th for the top three women. Um, but for much, yeah, for the early parts of the race, you know, you guys were, you, uh, Heather, the early splits was in 41st, um, leading the race from the the gun. And then, 
Um, you guys all kind of followed suit. And then for the longest time, you guys were kind of in the thirties and then in the back half of the race, you all moved up in a big way. Mm-hmm. Loved yeah, it. There was a lot of carnage. <laughs> yeah. So it was interesting though. Cause that, I mean, that does mean that like the men overwhelmingly ran a little bit, the, the men who kept it together, kept it together pretty well. Like they ran mm-hmm. pretty, like pretty solid times all around. Same with the women's top 10, like very, very solid. The splits were, or like the gaps were really tight. Um, like I think it was the top, the, I think it was the tightest top three men's and, to, and like men's podium and tightest top three women's podium, um, in race history, which is really, really cool. Yeah. It was so insane. And yeah. Just so, like you could never take your foot off the gas. Cause even outside of the top three, not many minutes separated fourth, you know? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Like it was, um, it was a battle like all the way, all the way through. And then there's jockeying for those, the rest of the top 10 positions, I think, the stat was something like the top six women put together the top like seven, like there's seven of the top top six women have now have like six of the top eight fastest times on the course or something like that. So with yeah, two of so you going crazy. under the course record. So mm-hmm. baffling. Bonkers. Yeah. Spe- speaking of uh, our own, our queen, our Keely Henninger won the women's race set a course record and got a golden ticket. That's kind of like a trifecta, triple threat weekend. Triple threat, triple threat weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even talk. <laughs> Love it. Love Still it. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then you were followed closely. I think it was about two and a half minutes back um, by Heather Jackson and, and her, you know, pro triathlete mm-hmm. coming over the trail. Love to yeah. see. And her, I'm so stoked for her to go to Western her State. Vibe, she's strong. Her energy. Mm-hmm. I love it. And yeah, she's going to be, she's going to be a fun factor for Western yeah. States. And I really love how she decided to run black Canyon to prove that she deserved her ticket into Western States because she was given her sponsor slot, which is awesome that Hoka gave it to her. Cause like, clearly it's fun to just bring awesome ladies into the race, but I think it's really cool. She wanted to prove herself and she definitely proved herself. Um, oh, so I'm yeah. excited for her at States. Yeah. I think that she's learning very, very quickly. And she did say that she's got to work on her downhills a lot. She did yes. not feel very confident we on the downhills. About that on the race too. <laughs> I know she said she was very cute after the race. And she said, at one point I asked Keely, is this technical? Cause she was like, I felt like I was running like really poorly. And she's like, and I just wanted to know if it was me or if it was the trail. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, no, this is pretty technical, but this is Rocky. I was like, but Western States has 24,000 feet of descending. It's, it's not, not technical. <laughs> yeah. She's, uh, but, she's recognizing that she has to get some, some downhill trail how time. Long it took you to get better at running trails. It takes a little bit of time. Yeah, so I it's think not she's easy. doing exceptionally well for how early in her career she is. Yeah. And if she, and you know, she knows the first part will be snowy. Like, I think she's, she's a person who like could go out a little hard, but if she can survive, the first hundred K at Western States, like she's not someone that I want to be duking it out with in the back 40 miles of that thing. Like mm-hmm. those, those back 40 will f- like suit her very well. Just like, it'll suit you very well. Mm-hmm. Like cruisy, cruisy, grindy miles. Mm-hmm. Um, but following Heather Jackson is Megan Morgan, 25 years old, La Sportiva runner out of Boulder, young, hungry, pulled it together. So, so cool. She was chased by Anna Cassius who finished fourth and is a, um, has been on the U S hundred K team in the past. Um, I think she actually got a little bit lost on course. It sounds like, and like fell back as far as seventh at one point and then had to move her way back up. Um, she, Ida, and ultimately, um, sixth place finisher, Shay Aquilana, the 21 year old, um, who's a, a senior at Notre Dame right now. They all came through the Doe Springs, the very last aid station together. 
Wow. And they had to duke it out. Like it was very, very cool. And I think Shay's time in sixth was 9.08 or something, which is like just two minutes slower than Claire's winning time from last Mm -hmm. year. And an hour PR for Shay on the course. Mm -hmm. She ran like 10.06 last year. So stupid, impressive women's race. Just, just absolutely bonkers on the men's side. Looking for redemption was Anthony Costales. Um, he was really unhappy with how he, how he performed at this race last year. He was bummed that he didn't cover some of the early breaks. He got dropped by his sponsor this past, like late, like kind of late in the fall. Hmm. So, uh, he raced in his Chico state singlet and Chico state t-shirt for the race. Like, I love it. I love his energy. He's such a competitor. He's so fierce. Like, um, he's, he has accepted the golden ticket. Um, but I like, I think he's still kind of on the fence about racing Western States. Um, but oh my goodness, can you imagine like Anthony Costales, Tom Evans, Adam Peterman, Hayden Hawks, like that, mm-hmm. the men's race is also shaping up to be, I think last year we were like, oh, there's no gym. Like what's going to happen. Like that was interesting. And this year it's like, there's no gym and the men's field is looking really good, mm-hmm. which is just like exciting. He was yeah. pursued by Tom Evans and Janusz Kowalczyk. Um, who are my teammates on Adidas Terex. Yeah. Um, Tom has a spot in from UTMB already. Um, Janish is a German athlete, first time ever racing in the States. Um, he came in, he told people, he told me that, you know, we ran on Monday on the course and he was like, I don't feel good. This feels really hard. I was told it was going to be easier. Like I don't have confidence. And he was like kind of down about it all week. And then he was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go out conservative and I'm just going to see what happens. And he's like, Corinne, it was easy. Like I just <laughs> ran really easy. Um, so really, yeah, really it's crazy cool. what the taper does, you know, cause I felt like I felt awful all of last yeah. week and until Tuesday, when I got into Phoenix, I didn't think I was going to have a really good, I didn't know what to expect. Cause I thought I felt like crap. And then you're yeah. like, Oh, okay. Maybe I'm feeling okay. Yeah. So I think Janish went from like eighth to third oh, going into so the 50 cool. mile mark. And all of a sudden we got a text that he was in third and I was like, wait, are, are Janish? And then there was a while where Steve Kirsch was also was in fourth. And I was like, oh my goodness, like mm. if Anthony doesn't take the ticket, that means Janish and Steve would get the tickets. Like how cool would that be? Um, Steven Kirsch ultimately had some stomach issues and dropped back. I think he finished eighth behind Janish was kind of early race leader, Cole Watson. Um, fourth, he, I feel like he's come up just shy of tickets many, many times, but it's just like a really wonderful human, um, had a really solid race. And then 23 year old out of Seattle, uh, raced in like a seven hill singlet and, uh, and cow printed shorts was oh, yeah, um, one of the cow guys. Yeah. He's oh, one of the fun. cowgill cowgill cow collective guys. Yeah. yeah. So Noah, um, so I think is how you say his last name. He had a, he was rocking a mullet. Um, he was having a great time, but put together, like put together a phenomenal performance. So he should be really, really stoked on that, but super, super young. Yeah. I think just, just turned 23 this year. So, wow. yeah. so many youngins in this race too. I, d- I dig it. It was cool. really, really awesome. Um, before we dive into our meat and potatoes, um, let's give a quick shout out to Athletic Greens, who makes this whole thing possible. They've been a supporter with us almost since the beginning, which is pretty darn cool. Um, and if you would like to try Athletic Greens um, with your first purchase, you can get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of that, uh, more than a green drink is how I would describe it. It's a prebiotic. It's a probiotic. It's got adaptogens in it. It's something that I've stopped taking first thing in the morning. And I now kind of take it generally after my run kind of more mid mid morning, um, to not take my, my pre and probiotic right before I run for my old GI track. Wasn't, wasn't sitting perfectly 
but I think I've got it dialed now. And so if you would like to try Athletic Greens, you can go to athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Your support means the world to us. Yeah. Grayson had uh, Athletic Greens before pacing me. Oh, spicy. I dig yeah. it. So if you want to be Love more it. like racing Grayson. Go get Athletic Greens. Yeah. If you want, I think, yeah, we should all maybe all be trying to be, be, more be like Grayson. <laughs> pace and Grayson. I think after this weekend, yep, she, uh, she, she did get that nickname. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So meat and potatoes, we're going to break black Canyon down. We're going to sit down with our own Keely Henninger, but we are bringing onto the podcast, long time listener, first time caller, the young 25 year old out of Boulder, Colorado, Meg Morgan. We are so excited to have her on the show. The interview is amazing. I hope you enjoy it. Oh my goodness. I'm sitting here with Black Canyon's Black Canyon. Jamil will kill me if I say that wrong. Black Canyon endurance run. The royalty, essentially. We've got uh, our women's winner, our own Keely Henninger. And then we're joined by special guest, Meg, Megan Morgan. Uh, third place, bringing home a golden ticket. And uh, we got to chat after the race and said, Meg, you have to come onto the podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome. Long, long time listener, first time caller, Megan Morgan in the house, golden ticket on her way to Western States. What I want to talk about first with you all is just like mindset and preparation questions, because I just think that like you both were kind of coming in from different places um, that I think will really kind of jive with the audience. And so Keely, I asked you something super, super similar during the um, pre-race elite panel. And I felt like I was kind of putting you on the spot and I apologize for putting you on the spot in front of a bunch of strangers. I'm gonna do it again today, but now we're post-race. So it's totally <laughs> chill. Um, you've run golden ticket races before, right? We've been at like Sonoma. We've been at Gorge hundred K and like the pursuit was never a golden ticket in those races. It was like to run in a competitive field, to run a competitive race. And you've actually turned down golden tickets at those races before. And so I'm wondering, you know, after having to drop out of Western States in 2022 due to injury, like, what did it, like, how did it, how was it different? How did it feel different coming into black Canyon with like a very specific mission in mind? Yeah. And this is a really good question. When, when you asked me this on the panel, I've totally forgot about Gorge because I hadn't entered it because it was a golden ticket race then either. So yeah. <laughs> totally good, good reminder, but um, this was obviously extremely different because my goal wasn't to necessarily race to win, at least not right away. My only goal was to get a ticket regardless of what that meant. Um, and so it actually like resulted in me coming into the race a lot more calm and more focused on running really consistently and within myself instead of worrying about anybody else, because I knew that all of my preparation was going to bode really well for this kind of trail running um, and my only goal was to get a ticket and that desire was really, really strong. Um, and it was really like intrinsic. It was really in, an intrinsically motivated goal because it's what I really wanted. And it didn't really depend on other people. Like obviously it was indicative of, or I guess it relied on how good and vast the competition was because that would hinder my ability to get the ticket. But yeah, having that as my goal, I think definitely kept me a lot more honest and running within my own realm of my ability instead of trying to get caught up in the race and, and wanting to chase down Heather at mile 37, you know, instead of just kind of just continually running what felt kind of like very, very normal and comfortable for myself. Which is so interesting because in my mind, I would think like, oh, I need this ticket. There's more pressure, but it sounds like that wasn't the case. It was like, I want this ticket. 
that's the goal with that, like without the win having to be on the table, it seems like that was actually like a more, like a more calming scenario for you, which I just think is like, that's not exact. That's not at all what I would anticipate. Yeah. I don't know why it felt more calming. I think it just felt a lot more within my control because I knew how to execute a race that I knew I'd be um, like sure to land on the podium with. Um, and so I just kept myself in check to make sure I wasn't going too fast or I wasn't doing stupid stuff. And so the first time I fell, I biffed it so hard passing Ida and there was no reason for me to pass her at that time. It was mile 30 and I was past her and got a little excited. So I started running faster, immediately twist my ankle and fell. And I was like, you know what? this is not my goal. If I do this again, I will not get a golden ticket. Like I will have to pull out because this will be Western States, 2022 round two, like chill run within your ability and calm down because your ability will get you to the finish line to get a ticket. If you are just like cognizant of it and not pushing past it, like you did at States where maybe if you just slowed down a little bit at mile nine and you wouldn't have rolled it at mile 10, you would have continued to be able to race. But because, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the hype and forget about yourself for a little bit and maybe run just ever so slightly outside of your comfort zone. Um, my biggest goal with Black Canyon was to not do that. <laughs> I dig it. I think that's, that's such an interesting like mindset to go into it with Meg, you I, I know I asked you this kind of post race as well, but I want, like, want to share it here too. Like you've been at a couple golden ticket races. You ran at, in two of them in 2022, you're at Bandera and Canyons endurance runs kind of came up short in both those instances. You did not come up short on Saturday. That was the, the opposite of the scenario, like <laughs> very, very elated at the finish line, golden ticket in hand. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, like, it seems like you raced a more patient race than last year. I'm just wondering, like, let's talk about what changed for you kind of race wise, mindset wise going into this golden ticket race in the 2023 season. Yeah, I honestly am a completely different runner than I was at this point last year. I think all three of the race golden ticket races I participated in have been completely different in the sense where the first one I raced in Bandera, I was so new to the ultra scene. I had just been doing ultras for a couple months. I had been told what Bandera was and the process of getting into Western like two months before Bandera. So I really didn't know what to expect. I had no idea if this was something even in my reach. I didn't have a coach at that point. Um, And I noticed going into it, I was filled with more and more anxiety just because I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, And going into canyons, it was somewhat of a different approach where I... I realized I wasn't really mentally ready to take on Western States. So I knew if I happened to get a ticket, I wasn't going to take it. And I also knew that the field was incredibly competitive. It was by far the most competitive that I had ever participated in. So I think I went in it maybe with an opposite mindset of you, Keely, where I was like, okay, this is a very competitive field. I don't want a ticket. So there's not really any pressure for me here. So I was not anxious about it, but I think that vaulted me because I think I interpreted that differently where I went in not caring. And I don't think that was the right approach. And so I didn't respect the course. I went out way too fast. I was not really thinking in a calculated manner um, and blew up horribly, had a bad time, was kind of throwing myself a pity party the whole time. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, kind of everything that happens to anyone who bongs happened to me. Um, but 
And so over the last couple of months, I was like, all right, if running, if ultra running is something I really want to pursue, like I have to get serious about this. I have to really start communicating more with my coach, really listening to everything my coach has to say, and also really dialing in my training and how I approach races from a mindset point of view. Um, So I came into this race in a completely different mindset in the sense where I like you, Keely, I really wanted the ticket. It was something I wanted so badly. And um, I, but I wanted to make sure that that didn't get to my head like it did at Bandera. Um, and it really, it did get to my head a couple of weeks ago. And especially seeing the competition on the starting list, I, you know, imposter syndrome was at full force. Um, and I was talking to my coach, like, this is something I really, really want. And I didn't really know how to handle it. Um, and really focused on the last couple of weeks, reforming my mindset to ensure it was as positive as possible and spent the time talking to a lot of people whose opinions I trusted, who have been in the sport for a while to kind of soak up the confidence that they were building in me and using that to my advantage on race day. I like to point out that Meg, you're 25, right? Mm-hmm. So, so wizened our 25 year old here. That's really, it's really cool. I mean, I, I think my first 100k was chasing Keely at Gorge in 2016 as a 20 like as a brand new 26 year old. So it's like really cool and exciting to see you coming up into the sport and really getting to that that headspace um and being ready for a golden ticket this year. I think that's fairly mature too to recognize last year that you're like I don't think I'm ready if I got a golden ticket, which is what Keely did at Lake Sonoma. She turned it down cuz Western States was not not yet a thing that she wanted to tackle, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was close to your age too. I think I was 25 or 26 when I turned down my first ticket as well, because yeah, I didn't understand was- the hype. Yeah. I was like, first of all, no, I just to prove myself in the sport, I don't need to go run 100 miles. But also the second part of that is if you have any inkling of doubt around running 100 miles, you better not run 100 <laughs> miles because that will be the worst experience of your life. <laughs> and so knowing that I wasn't fully in it, I had to decline because I knew I wasn't physically ready, but I also wasn't mentally ready and didn't have the, you know, the drive I needed to actually start and finish that race. Yeah, that's, it's critical mission, mission critical. You got to be excited about what you're racing. You both kind of, I think Maggie, just you in particular mentioned like the field was really competitive. The field was really, really deep. And I'd love to hear from both of you. I mean, we'll start with Keely of like, you know, as you're getting prepared for the race and as like the start list was kind of becoming finalized, like what did it feel like looking at this, like insanely deep pool of women that were going to be on the start line this weekend? Yeah. Um, I think unlike Meg, I didn't actually look at the list of runners at all. So um, smart. that's smart. Good for I, you. Just, <laughs> I just talked to my coach. I, I just know my mental health the week or two before a race is very fragile and it doesn't take much for me to get into overthinking mode and question everything. And so I knew my fitness was really good. I put in the work, I'd done a lot of things that would, you know, inform me that this race could go well if I stayed true to my running. And so I had looked at the entrance list maybe a month ago and then never looked at it again, knowing that it was stacked even just a month ago. And so I just knew that, okay, that was stacked then. It's only getting stacked more stacked as you get closer to the race when more people sign up. So obviously going in, I still knew it was going to be stacked. Um, the one piece of advice my coach did give me was that it was going to go out really, really hot and to just run whatever pace you felt like you could sustain regardless of who was in first at mile 50 K or, or kilometer 50, or even before that, just running like totally true to yourself instead of getting caught up in the race, because a lot of people do try to run out 
really, really, really fast. Um, and I think that was really helpful because running through, you know, 50 K I ran it 20 minutes faster than when I raced the 60 K in 2017. Like That's I ran four fifty three through through 60 K. And when I ran the race and won it in 2017, I ran five twenty five. <laughs> Granted, wow. I crashed and burned, but we went out hot. Like most of the time women run five hours for that 60K. And so we were flying. Um, but I think again, like acknowledging the competition is stout. So that that standard now is like, you have to go into a race knowing that the competition is so vast that you could break the course record and get third, you know, like it's kind of insane. And so staying true to yourself is even more important, but also getting caught up in who's racing. It's not going to help you going into the race because you don't know what their training's like, but you, you do know that the competition is going to be fierce. And so you just have to be able to race your very hardest because that's what you need to do to win it these days. It's kind of absurd. Yeah. We should add that you all ran the top six women. So you like through, through, um, Meg, and then we had, um, Oh, who do we have come in? We had Anna. Yep, we had Anna, Anna and Ida and Shay. Like top, like I think Shay ran just over nine hours, like nine oh eight. You all ran like six of the top seven fastest times in history, or something like completely stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, Meg, you kind of mentioned that you know, like it did kind of shake your confidence a couple weeks ago. Like you were like, oh my goodness, like am I ready for this thing? Can I do this thing? Like knowing the field is going to be really deep, you know, was there advice that you were given to come into this with a good head, like a headspace ready, ready to like fight for a golden ticket, what you really wanted out there? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty lucky here in Colorado and Boulder specifically that there are so many, I have so many ultra running mentors here. Um, and I was given the advice when I was kind of voicing my concerns about the competition about my imposter syndrome. Um, I was given the advice like Keely to hold back, to not go out fast that like Keely said, that it's going to go out really fast. People are going to blow out their legs. Um, and that's something I like maybe talk about this later, but I, I messed up in the beginning. Um, I went out very fast. Um, but I, I also learned to like really trust what my mentors were saying in terms of and what I found was helpful was not necessarily like race advice, but they, they've run with me many times. And so they were just building my confidence in my style of running and who I am as a runner. And that wasn't something I was really digesting at first. I think I was looking at the competition. I know or heard of a lot of the girls. And so I knew what their strengths were and I wasn't focusing on my own strengths. Um, and I kept forgetting that this course really does play to my strengths. Um, and so I think the week of remembering that and focusing on, like Keely said, focusing on yourself and yourself as a runner, um, and then really believing what your mentors and your friends and your peers say about you as, um, I think it's easy when you're, you know, caught up in your own self and your own ego to not really see yourself as like a full runner. Um, so someone with a little bit more perspective is, is helpful to listen to. That's huge. That's super, super important. Remembering your own strengths in particular. I think I have one more question for each of you in the, in the pre-race 
style of questioning before we dive into like what actually happened out there. We've gotten glimmers of it for sure. But Keely, um, the audience will know that you've had like a lot of ups and downs this winter. Um, you had to regain confidence in your body. You're like, I can't do this. And your PT is like, absolutely. You can do this. You actually need to go for a run right now, um, to getting sick and kind of having to like rein things in. I'm just kind of wondering what lessons you learned along the way, um, from, from really coming back to running in the fall to getting on the start line last weekend. Yeah. I think that starting from the injury I sustained last year at Western States, the biggest thing I learned from that was to trust yourself. And that lesson continued its way through, you know, summer, fall, and winter with all the things I've learned since that injury. And so first of all, the injury taught me that I needed to listen to myself and run true to myself instead of ever so slightly outside of my comfort zone and that I know myself better than I think I do. And so when I'm putting up little teeny caution flags, I need to listen to them, even if they feel a little bit silly or like something that will make me lose a minute or two in the middle of a race. I do need to listen to them because they could be the difference between me finishing the race or not being able to finish. And so that kind of continued through the fall and the winter, the fall being, you know, relearning to run and trust myself. Downhills were really scary for a very long time because that's where I broke my ankle, basically tore my ankle, but broke kind of sounds a little easier off the tongue. Um, that's where I tore my ankle. The hardest at Western States was running downhills. So it was really gaining trust in the body involved a lot of conversations, um, and appointments with my PT who sometimes would just have to put me on a treadmill running at a fast clip and be like, see, you can run at this pace right now. <laughs> you aren't broken you're in yeah. your head. And so that was a very big journey. Um, but then, you know, I think after September, October, I did start gaining confidence back and was really hammering in the miles and the intensity and was feeling really good. Um, but then kind of had to take another recheck with myself as I entered this local race and found myself sort of suffering PTSD from Western where two days before the race, I was stressed out my mind a day before the race. I was stressed out of my mind. Mind you, this is a, you know, really, really small local race that doesn't ultimately matter, but it was still having the same toll on me as something like Western States would. Um, and I went into the race, not, not pausing to address my mind, not pausing to address the stress I had felt the day before. And within seven miles, you know, sprained the crap out of my good ankle and, finished, but, you know, had to end up taking a couple of days off of that. And this was again, one more reminder to listen to the little red warning flags I was throwing out of, Hey, maybe you're not quite ready to race yet, or maybe you are, but you really need to think about your mental health before a race and make sure you're confident in yourself going out there. You're running controlled. You're not trying to throw down something that you think you have to do to prove that you're back, but that you're just running true to yourself. And that in itself means you're back. Um, yeah. And so I think the fall and winter just kind of continued on, obviously, um, I got a little sick, definitely was a little bit of overtrained where my menstrual cycle was a little late and all of these things just came back to me, maybe being a week or two late at listening to myself and then finding it a little bit later. And I think that window is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, which is really cool. Um, I'm 30 and I've been in the sport for nine years and you'd think I'd have figured it out by now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty impressed with Meg's uh, mental game being so young in the sport. Like I definitely was not that wise at her age um, and, and able to realize the importance of making sure your mental game is strong. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite the journey since Western States. And I always laugh thinking back to when I 
did tear my ankle at Western States and everybody there wanted to tell me that, don't worry, you will learn something. You're going to learn something. You'll come back stronger. You're going to learn. You're like, I hate this. I hated everyone at the time. I was like, I don't want to learn anything else. I've learned enough. I don't need to learn anything. I've learned it all. And (laughs) they were right as always. And, you know, we're always learning and I've just continued to learn. And I think that that journey has been really helpful. And it also has given me the fire to, to be able to like push and really compete. And I find myself finally running in a way that makes me really proud and also makes me really excited for the future. So, yeah. Heck yeah. I love that. I love that you were like, stop telling me that that everything happens for a reason. This is not, there's no reason for this. I hate it. (laughs) I love it. Um, Meg, I, I loved your Instagram post and you said that people oftentimes think that you're just like goofing around and that you're like really relaxed about everything, but even you even try really hard to make it look like really laid back and and chill. And I think we've all experienced that of like, if I don't care, I can't get hurt. I've definitely taken that approach to running before. And it's, it's sometimes it definitely backfires at times, but I'm wondering, like, it sounds like you really do care about your training and that you are really focused on this goal and you're able to execute on it. And I'm just wondering, like, how has it evolved over the last year? And like, what is the, what does that look like in practice as far as like you taking that into your day-to-day approach to building up for a race like this? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I, I had to sort of change my, or really, I guess, listen to my priorities. Um, I, and yeah, this came out in my Instagram post. I'm someone who I don't really like to like take life seriously. Um, I love making other people laugh. I love having as much fun as possible. I really like to fully live my life. And that honestly ends, ends up with my sacrificing my sleep as I'm like, oh, I want to do this with this friend and this with this friend, but I also work my full-time job, but oh, I just won't sleep. And then I can do it all. Um, and that was something that like, yes, led to me living a very happy life. But I realized like a couple months ago that if I want to do well in ultra running, that's not something that is super sustainable. Um, I'm a big climber and skier and I love hanging out with my friends, but those, all those can't really exist at, at full intensity in the way that I was pursuing them all with ultra running. Um, so I was, did a little bit of shaking up of my prioritization over the last couple of months um, and really acknowledge, which is, I think this is what you're alluding to. It's kind of a scary thing to admit to yourself, like, wait, I really care about running and I really want to commit myself to it and see how this plays out. And I kind of made that promise to myself, like, all right, I'm going to start sleeping. I'm not going to work out in the mornings anymore because I've learned I was not responsible enough with going to bed early. So I like gave myself a couple of guidelines like that. I dialed back my climbing. I dialed back my skiing. Um, I chose to not drink for the last two months just to make sure I was really going all in on this goal. Um, as yeah, that was something that was intimidating. Requested, requested a beer at the finish line. I will add that was the first yeah. thing you asked for. They said, what are you going to do now? And you said, I think I'd like a beer, which was very cute. So long. I was yeah. craving one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think just like admitting to myself that this was something I wanted and not being afraid to admit that was big. Yeah. That's, it's, it's huge. It's really scary to say your goals out loud, to tell mm-hmm. your coach or your significant other, or people that are important in your life, your friend group. Um, but it, it makes it real. And I think it allows you to commit to it a little bit more, which clearly has paid off. You both landed on the podium, but had very different races and ways out there. And by, and what I mean is that like, we saw Keely all day long, kind of like trading off like leads with, 
with Eda Nilsson and Heather Jackson. Meg, you're part of a group of women who we just watched like constantly kind of move up all day alongside um, Anna Cassius and Shay Aquilano. Um, and so I kind of want to talk to talk to each of these kind of stories of what happened out there. And we'll start with Keely and then Meg will hear kind of like wh- what actually transpired in that field. Cause the, the back end of the course splits were like absolutely crazy. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a 50, a 50 mile mark split where our top three women were all together. Um, I don't think I've ever seen, you know, like, and then all of a sudden at Doe Springs, like four miles from the finish line, same sort of thing, like four five and six were literally all together. Like what a bonkers women's race. Um, hence, you know, like seven of the fastest times ever on the course. So Keely, you were like legit jockeying at the front of the pack, going back and forth with Ida and Heather. And from watching the live stream, I just can't tell, did you ever get to like exhale out there? It just seems like it was kind of full on from like start line to finish line. Yeah. I've never raced for that long in my life. Um, it was definitely a really cool experience. I think it keeps you very engaged, but it also keeps you a little bit distracted. And I think when I fell the most was when I was thinking of other things aside from the trail right in front of my feet, um, to the point where my second pacer, Colleen just looked at me and goes, you need to stop thinking about the people in front of you or behind you and just run, like get your feet off the ground. And I was like, right. Okay. Okay. okay." Um, but yeah, so I'd say, in the beginning, I think the first, you know, 10 to 15 miles did not feel quite as much of a race to me um, because a lot of people went out really, really fast and everyone was really close together. And so while it definitely felt like a race, um, a part of me was a lot, a little less calculated then and a lot more conserved just because I knew that everyone was running really fast. We were all still really, really close. And so the race hadn't even started yet. Um and then I'd say kind of getting closer to close to 50 K mark was when I started thinking about, okay, where am I in this race right now? Where are the girls in front of me? Uh, how am I feeling? And that's where I started um, first catching Ida. And that's where I actually first twisted my ankle and fell and then got passed again by Ida. And so that started our long saga of just getting past, getting passing someone, getting past, passing someone. Um, and so I ran into 60 K, you know, right behind Ida and Heather. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt pretty good. My crew made the executive decision to make me stay at that aid station for quite some time. You did. Um, And and I want like, did that stress you out? Because like, it stressed me out. Like I saw Heather and Ida leave and I was like, where is Keely? Like, why isn't she out of this aid yet? Cause I was at Black Canyon city. That that freaks me out. It did for all of two seconds because JT first asked me when I got in there, he's like, do you want this ice buff? And I looked at him, I said, no. And then I paused and I said, Yes, because I thought like, what did Tyler tell me to do? He told me to be like very calculated, very smart and like, don't take shortcuts that might cost you long-term. And right before that aid station, Brittany Peterson had looked me square in the eye and said, be smart, Keely. And so I was like, okay, we're going to just chill. We're going to drink all the fluids because I've been going through fluids so much. Like, I think I drank two and a half X what I had thought I was going to drink being like pretty conservative. And so I was like, okay, this is 37. Like I'm not that far from them. And up until this point, I hadn't felt like I was pushing at all. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it didn't feel that stressful as soon as I like remembered my goal of running true to myself, that it didn't feel that stressful that I was letting them leave a minute or so a minute or two before me, because I knew that I was running consistently and strong enough to stay close to them the entire time. Like every time I felt like they must be getting further ahead, I would come around a corner and they would be right in front of me. And so I just had to trust that. And yeah, leading, leaving 60 K 
I was with Colleen and all I said to her was like, I just want to stay steady. I don't want to push yet because I want this ticket and I don't want to like catch them, try to beat them right now and then blow up. And so for me and her, our goal was just to not like slow down too much and just stay consistent on those technical climby, punchy stuff that had me fall a lot. (laughs) Um, And to the point where I, you know, came around one of the final corners before maybe a kilometer before the last the aid station at mile 50. And they were right there. And I, I like said to Colleen, I was like, did you think they were going to be right there? She goes, Keely, you haven't been letting up. You've just been steady. Um, and so that was like a really good reminder that I had continued to just run what felt good to me. Um, and I didn't lose any time. I, in fact, I gained a lot of time back. Um, and so running into 50 miles with them was really cool. Yeah, it 30 was very, seconds. It was 30 seconds yeah. between first and third at the 50 mile mark of a 62 mile yeah. race. It was it bonkers. Really good, but also kind of bonkers, right? Because you're like, okay, we're all together now. And we it's have a race. this last 11 miles left. Um, and so, you know, passing, getting past, it's a little bit of a mental battle. And I think old Keely and maybe Keely, who just was thinking about the win might've gotten a little more beaten down by getting passed by Heather multiple times. But the, my under, like my underlying goal was always to get the ticket. Mm-hmm. And so getting passed by her, didn't throw me as much as it would have in the past because I knew that I could still get a ticket if I stayed strong after Heather. Um, and I also knew that staying strong continually remind or was resulting in me catching her again. And so I basically told Grayson, who is the most competitive pacer ever, if you need someone to get you to rally, um, I was like, I don't want to catch her if she passes me right away. Like we jockeyed back and forth from 50 to 55, three, four times. Um, And finally I said, I feel pretty good. I had taken an extra gel because I was feeling a little bit wonky. And I looked at, I said to Grace, I'm like, okay, if I am still within striking distance, which we were just running like 50 meters apart for like five miles, 14 seconds at the 58 mile mark or whatever. And so I said, if we're still there around 59, I'm just going to catch up with her. We're going to see how she's navigating the downhills. And then we're just going to take it because I knew at that point I could hold that pace for three miles, two to three miles and not worry about blowing up and missing the ticket. But until that point, I was not comfortable pushing a little bit because all I was thinking about was the ticket. And I think that was, that's how I was able to keep a strong head when I was getting passed so often, because, you know, normally you get passed three or four times at that late in a race. That's a mental battle and it's hard to come back from getting passed. But I think because I had that other goal that wasn't necessarily to win, it was to like make sure I got that ticket and let me stay calm. Um, and then, yeah, I still had a lot of energy left to push at the end. And so it was pretty cool to be like, okay, we're just going to go for it because, uh, I feel good and there's no turning back. (laughs) It was so cute. I was at the finish with Colleen and JT and we were like, oh my goodness. We're like, we're like, Heather's not in the drone shot anymore. Heather's not in the drone shot anymore. Like we think Keely's like getting a gap on her. Like we were all losing it. And then we realized how close you were to Brittany's course record time. It was like a whole thing. Like everyone is adorable. Um, JT and Colleen were like freaking out. It was, it was really, really cool. But I also heard from Colleen. She's like, if, well, she keeps falling. Like she fell when I was running with her, she might not win. Yeah. She's falling a lot. So can you tell us a little bit? I mean, Heather brought this up too in our post-race interview with hers. Like you know, she was like, I would fall and then Keely would fall and then I would fall and then Keely would fall. And I was like, wow, you guys aren't exchanging blows. You're exchanging like topples. Like what, what exactly transpired out there between you and the rocks? Yeah. So I'd say the first time I fell was 
the first time I was running outside of my comfort zone is when I first passed Ida around mile 34 or 35, mm-hmm. I got this little jolt of, of com- competitiveness and I was like, Ooh, I'll just start hammering now and immediately <laughs> twist my ankle and fell over. <laughs> and Love it was it. awful, but it was a really good reminder that like, Hey, I don't need to do that. And so that one was because of that. Um, and then I'd say the ones I fell with Colleen, was because I was so infatuated with the race that I was thinking of people behind me, people in front of me. And so mm-hmm. I was like, not really looking at the trail. And I think that went on for a good mile where I probably fell four or five times. And like, you know, not all like crazy falls. They were like, kind Trips, of like stumbles, yeah. but still so silly. Um, to the point where Colleen's just like, Hey, you need to get your shit together. Like stop looking behind you. Stop thinking about people in front of you. Just run, pick up your feet, like go a little slower if you have to, but stop falling. And I was like, yes, you're right. 100%. Um, so I kind of got my shit together for a bit there. Um, and then I got back with Grayson and I think I'd kind of gotten a little bit behind on calories, but not very far. So that the first little bit with her, I took a really, really hard digger. Um, like she said that you were just like on the ground. Oh my gosh. That's why I'm limping now. Um, And that again was like, that was a little bit of running, maybe a little bonky and just being tired, but also maybe deciding I wanted to push a little bit too soon. Um, and it was another reminder to be like, okay, if I do that again, I might not finish. Like I just need to chill. And then once I start to deciding to push, I better just be 100% in my own running, not worried about before me or after me, just worrying about my feet, picking up my feet. Like me and Grayson were kind of chanting like feet, 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 so that I would pick up my feet for the first mile of the descent. And then I would say after I made the move to pass Heather, I was a lot more focused just on my running. And so after then I didn't stumble once. And so it was like really interesting. I think I need to really focus on keeping my mind a little bit more insular when I'm running so that I stay more focused on the ground mm-hmm. because obviously I'm already kind of clumsy. And so I don't need to fall all <laughs> these times. I'm like, Jesus, what would have happened if I hadn't fallen all these times? Like had to shake off these giant blows. Like, gosh. Yeah, totally. It's like, yeah, it just, they take a lot out of you, you know, when there are these really hard falls uh, and they're that often. So do not recommend, but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, speaking got of, it together by the end. I was like, speaking of not falling, we were joking with with Meg before we, I think before we hit record of that the fact that she like didn't fall at all. We're pretty sure. Like she came in completely, completely clean, salty, but not bloody. Um, so what was going on in the chase pack there? And kind of tell us about your day. Tell us about going out maybe a little bit too hard and having to reset a little bit. Like what did what transpired for you? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like I had a very different day than Keely, which is super interesting. Um, but yeah, like I said, everyone told me to go out conservatively. And so that was what I thought I was doing, um, which was silly because I was in third place and had all these very talented fast women behind me. And so I don't know why I thought that I was going out conservatively at that point. Um, but I was just kind of going with the flow, like letting my legs stretch out on the downhills, not thinking about it too much, chatting with the people next to me, just trying to keep it very mellow. Um, And that's something I'm still learning is what keeping it chill actually means in a 100K race. I'm still figuring that out. Um, And when we rolled into the 12 mile aid station, I was in third and the guy next to me was like, oh, you're running on course record pace right now. And I was like, oh, man, (laughs) like that was not what I wanted to do. I had no idea. And I was for a little bit just so mad at myself that I had been given this consistent piece of advice from multiple people do not go out hard go out slow 
like bring yourself to the back of the pack. You don't want your legs to be blown out when the hills start um, in the second half of the race. And I was pissed. I was like, I can't believe I already ruined this. Um, I did that in canyons as well. And at that point, I realized I've heard from people that the race in Black Canyon doesn't really start until the 50K point. And I was like, oh, I still have like 20 miles until that point. So what if I just take the next maybe 10 or so miles to rest now and try to undo what I just did and then see how my legs feel from there? Because I know what it feels like to try to grind through uphills on really battered legs and it's horrible. Um, So at that point, I cut back. I let a bunch of folks pass me. I think I dropped back to seventh for women. um, And I kind of hung behind a pack of maybe five folks in front of me and just kept them, kept them in eyesight, but kept telling myself, um, don't get them, be patient. It's fine. Don't go yet. Don't go yet. And just repeated that to myself so many times. Um, and then at about the 20 or 25 mile mark, I was, I started to notice a significant difference in my legs that they felt super, super fresh as if I just started running. Um, they were kind of in that perfect flow state. And I was like, okay, now I feel confident enough to start to regain my position where I was before. So I slowly started picking away at folks from that point and noticed that I was just feeling awesome and that I wasn't working too hard and was still able to close the gap. Um, I think I got up to fourth place probably right before the 50K mark. Um, And that was definitely still nerve wracking because it's still so early. You don't know who's running conservatively, who's really stretching themselves thin. And the there was a group of us four women who were all really close together. Um, so it was I definitely felt a little bit on edge and felt like I still needed to cement my place. Um, and when we left Black Canyon City, um, the I believe it was Anna who was right behind me, um, ended up right behind me coming out of there. Um, I think I maybe stayed and ate a little bit longer than she did. And Um, that was the point too, where I, my friend offered to jump in and pace me. And I, my original plan was to not have a pacer. And so I was, although for a second, I was like, you know, it would be nice to have some company as I know I have over, you know, like 25 miles left, but I was like, wait, no, your original plan was no pacer. And there was a reason for that. And, um, so I left the aid, but noticed, and I had a pacer. It started to get to my head a little bit. I was like, oh man, did I make a mistake? And I knew that a big climb was coming up. And so I was like, you know, what? just grind away at the climb. Don't push it yet. You don't want to blow out your legs in a climb. That doesn't make sense. Um, and I noticed the climb was not nearly as taxing as I think it was built up to be. And I was chipping away at it fine. I wasn't working hard. And I realized that even without pushing, I was still putting on a gap um, to the woman behind me. And that was a huge confidence booster because from then on, I knew that, okay, all I have to do is be consistent on the uphills. and. I know myself and I know that I can always sprint the downhills no matter where I am in the race. So if I just do those two things, then I should be able to cement a really confident place um, right now. And that's when things started to shift from, okay, separating myself from the pack behind me to like, let's see how close I can get to the woman in front of me. And I must say, Keely, you, Ida and Heather, I am baffled by how fast you all ran because I thought I was hauling down the downhills. And every time I was hauling, I was like, there's no way they're running faster than me right now. They must be at this next switchback. And I did not see you three once. 
Like not at all, not until I caught up with Ida. So I am just so, so impressed. And I just wanted to say that, but um, I think the race started to get turned in, turned back into a race for me at the mile 58 station, as that's when my crew told me that you three women had just left maybe five minutes or so ago um, that you were all together. And that's when they told me as I didn't know that Heather already had a ticket. So all I needed to do was catch one of you as long as it wasn't Heather. Um, and then I would be good to go. Um, and so I went on the chase from there and about a mile or so from there, I realized that Ida was, was struggling a little bit. And I saw her walking on a hill in the distance and, um, then just made my move from there that I, at the time I was, I kind of wished that I had passed Ida later as like you said, Keely, when you have 10 miles to go, 10 miles of in your head being like, don't mess up, don't mess up. Like that's kind of a long time. And it's, I think a little bit easier sometimes to be on the chase than on the um, defense. Um, and so I was so nervous. Someone else was going to be feeling strong behind me. I don't know how Ida races. I didn't know if she was going to bounce back. Um, but I found that if I instead flip the mentality of instead of who's coming behind me, I was like, okay, realistically, I know Keely and Heather are very far ahead, but if I just focus on, let me try to get as close to them as possible, then that would push me to run faster and make sure I didn't slip into a negative headspace in those last big chunk of miles. Um, and yeah, I made the, and I was very much so alone for those last 10 miles, which is definitely tough mentally at times as it got really hot too. Um, but just tried to focus on, and I think it, it helps for me too, where I, even though I'm tired, I do force myself to sprint the downhills as I find that's like a nice way to mentally break it up for me. Um, and to like bring myself back in the game. Um, so I was able to finish feeling really good. Um, that's, I think the best I've felt both mentally and physically throughout an entire race, which made it really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to ask a question about the pacer thing. Cause I, I, I already, I kind of know your answer already. Obviously I'm cheating a little bit, but I think it's really, I think it's really interesting, right. That like, we know that you were offered a pacer and you were like, Nope, I've got a plan. I'm like, I've got this thing to do. Like what, like, can you tell us a little bit more about like turning down a pacer and like why that decision was made um, at that aid station and like kind of your headspace around it? Yeah. So something I've noticed over the, this over, I guess the last race I did, which was July and um, another FKT effort I did in the fall was that I've um, gained this ability to really mentally dial in on racing. And that's something I don't know if I really had before. And I've slowly started to grow and I really love that feeling and found it's a huge advantage. It makes time go by really fast. And it's obviously great from a competitive standpoint to really be focused on the actual race the entire time. Um, and I noticed that at, that sometimes when I have pacers that I lose that rhythm, I lose that mental headspace and sure it's beneficial because, um, you're, you're talking to someone, you have someone by your side, they may mentally pull you out of a rut, but I found if I'm in a really good headspace that I don't want to break up that rhythm. Um, and I also really love talking to people, especially my friend who's probably my pacer. And so I will maybe naturally slow down and just chat with them. Um, so I didn't want to risk that. Um, and I got some advice too, um, from Claire Gallagher and I really trust her opinion. She was like, I, I don't think you should use a pacer. She was like, I think you should just focus on your own running 
and it's a fast race. So I don't think there's any more room in your head for anything than focusing on your own race. Um, and so I wanted to trust that, trust my own gut there. Um, and like trust my own mental strength that I can do this without having somebody else there. I love the like, I'm worried that I just chat with them and that we'd like <laughs> slow down because we'd be having such a good time. Maybe that's I why I fell so much just because I was distracted. Yeah. <laughs> hanging out with your friends. Sounds like the opposite of Grayson though. It sounds like Grayson is like a real, got to get her to Olympic Valley. It sounds like she's a, maybe yeah. a, a aggressive. She'd be a good back 20 at Western States. Yeah. 80 to yeah, the finish. I was also, I was also torn uh, Megan about pacers because to me, black Canyon runs a lot more like a 50 mile. Like it's a very fast. Yeah. So I was pretty so torn fast. on pacers as well, but then I kind of just really wanted it to be like a Western States practice and just do everything. So similar, like take the extra time to cool, take the extra time with the pacers, like just get into a rhythm where you're like, okay, I like having a pacer. That's like this for this section. I like this kind of pacer for this section. Um, because yeah, I was also super torn for a while. I was just going to have one. And then like, I had grace and reach out last minute and I was like, well, all right, let's just go with two then. Might as well, like if we're allowed to have them. Um, but it was also it. like a little bit weird for me too, because it is such a shorter race and it's very fast. So you, it's like really easy to get into a really cool rhythm by yourself as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, I'm with you. I totally get that. So uh, getting kind of into the nitty gritty for you all, a question that comes up a lot is like, how did fueling go? What did fueling look like? It was a warm-ish day. Everyone's coming out of winter, so it felt really hot. You know how, like, I'd love to hear from both of you as far as like hydration, nutrition, electrolytes, like what, what went in, what stayed in, how did it go? Yeah, I'll go first, I guess. Um, so for me, I plan to drink like two bottles of water pretty much between all of the major aid stations, like maybe 15 to 20 miles. And immediately that became like four to five water bottles. Like it was a lot, but I always filled up with electrolytes, probably 90% of the time and then supplement with water like twice, just cause I was completely craving water, but yeah, drank a lot and every single aid station I cooled down at. Um, and then for fueling, um, I definitely stuck to my Western States plan, um, and my gorge plan of last year that people thought was bonkers. Um, and I probably had, I calculated <laughs> it. I think I had 16 gels and like two to four bottles of roctane for calories. And I think that comes out to 60 grams an hour. And so I was pretty proud of myself because that's, that was my goal. Um, and it was a lot of gels by the end. Grayson was really impressed because she's like, are you getting the gel down in one bite? And I was like, yeah, but it's cause I don't want to taste it anymore. <laughs> that is very impressive. And a little yeah. bit scary Western yeah. States. Here we come, baby. <laughs> Meg, how did it go for you out there? Yeah. So this was probably my most successful fueling that I've had. Um, I am notoriously, I notoriously under fuel during races. Um, I've had some stomach sensitivity issues in races. Um, I also am notorious for not drinking water. Um, my friends make fun of me all the time that I'll go on, like, we'll go on like seven hour runs and I'll have like a bottle of water. Um, and I feel fine. Um, but I knew that was something that I had to change, especially as like preparing for Western, hopefully in the future. Um, and so I, I'm also like an all gel person. I found SAS gels work really well for my stomach. Um, and I was able to get them down like every half hour. So I really stayed on track with that. And then with the, I had one bottle of scratch at all times, one bottle of water and just made sure that every time I got to an aid station that they were empty. Um, so then could just fully refill them. Um, I also am a big believer in salt tablets. 
I, when I get, start to get dehydrated, my like hands start to shake a little bit. And that's when I know it's time. It's probably honestly a little late. So that's something I need to work on is um, just like popping in some salt tablets at that point. Um, so I think too, I also, I also probably had 16, maybe 17 gels. Um, not really sure about the water, um, but I would just, I wasn't really calculated on when I would have the scratch and when I'd have the water. I would just go off of what I was craving at that point. Um, and found it worked pretty well. The stomach stayed happy the whole time. That's huge. Stomach, yeah. stomach woes are, it's the worst when your legs feel good and your stomach's just not cooperating. It's so frustrating. Hannah, Hannah Allgood had that experience out there yeah. um, over the weekend. And that was a real, a real bummer. Like really, it's, it's just frustrating, right? So, so happy to hear that you guys had legs and stomachs that yeah. played along. It's the consistency that helps a lot though. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you can keep the fueling consistent, the the percentage likelihood that your stomach's going to go south is at least lower than normal because you're not like giving the time for your gut to go to sleep as easily as like stopping fueling for an hour or something. But Trickle. Yeah, it's always sometimes it's a luck of the draw, but stoked to hear you do 16 gels as well. I'm gonna call that out. Like just so people know, we both had at least 16 gels and we finished feeling great. So yep. therefore fueling works. Do flavor pride yourself on under fueling. It doesn't work. It doesn't do ever leave you feeling good. Do we have a favorite gel flavor for those who might be curious that you, because you had 16 of them mix and match or one flavor throughout? I'm a big proponent of one flavor, very big into like change is bad. Um, so I like the salted strawberry. Um, Love it. And I actually don't get sick of gels. Like they don't, they're not like necessarily fun to eat. I don't like look forward to them, but like, I'm fine eating the same flavor. Mm-hmm. Love it. What yeah, about you, Keely? I, I rotated through three. I had strawberry banana, nude, which is like no flavor, but it's still a little bit of a flavor. Um, and then lemonade. Mm, lemonade's a little did bit you, tart. Did too. you purposely choose a flavor at like a certain time or you just grabbed whatever was mm, I just grabbed whatever. Yeah. And I um, and purposely did not include anything that was chocolate flavored because I did that Western States 21. I packed only chocolate gels because I was like, oh, no. these worked out a cold race once. <laughs> bad chocolate's horrible in the heat do not ever pack it you do not want it at mile like any mile in a hot race you just are completely repulsed by it (laughs) um you both have golden tickets we're gonna see you in june at western states i am so freaking excited um but i guess kind of like reflecting on your race experience this past weekend things went right things went wrong like what what is like each of you like do 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 each of you have like one takeaway kind of lesson that you're going to try to like remember to bring with you to Western States in June? I'll let me go first. Yeah, I think my big one, which this is a very much so a kind of scary reality shock is I definitely was feeling the dehydration towards the end of this, you know, only 100K, 75 degree race. And that whole time I was thinking to myself, like, oh my goodness, Western is probably gonna be 30 degrees hotter, 40 miles longer. Um, so I think that's my main thing I want to focus on is finding a way to really dial in that hydration, the electrolytes and staying cool. Love it. Keely, what about for you? Um, I think, yeah, I guess like my first thought is staying on my feet, but I think that's a little (laughs) bit being silly. Um, my second thing is to just trust, (laughs) trust myself when I'm out there, because I think the only two times I can remember where I was like a little bit negative on myself was thinking that I was. Like when I, if I was behind the top two women, there were parts where I'd be like, man, I just must be running really awful. Even though I felt like I kept running true myself, but then a minute later I'd see them right in front of me. And so I think a constant reminder that you're prepared for these races and just keep running what's true to yourself 
will like continually be the right decision. Like running someone else's race is never going to be the race for you. And so if you just keep trusting in your ability, trusting in how you're running, like it's going to pay off. And so it was a really good reminder on that. Um, Yeah. And also I think the other really cool reminder is that it's really fun to race like that far into a race. And I've never done that, but I think it's a really good thing for us to have had Meg because States is going to be that way. 100%. It's going to be a shit show. And so knowing that we've just duped it out for 60 miles is a really good confidence boost going into something like States because it is sure to be exactly the same, except probably worse. So (laughs) except snow for 50 K and then really, really more women. And so (laughs) it's going to be such a good time. (laughs) It's going to be amazing. So people, final question for you both. People really want to know you've both made it home. You both were given giant golden tickets. How the heck did you guys get those things home? And did anyone give you like weird looks at the airport? Keely, you were like bloody and bandaged as well. Like <laughs> care, like limping through the yeah. airport with your ticket. Well, like what happened there? <laughs> I'm assuming the tickets are safe, safe at home. Keely, is your ticket in your office or is it somewhere else? Get the ticket. This is a podcast, but if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. Golden ticket. It's huge. Um, yeah. yeah. So I was walking through the airport, limping through the airport, good, good clarifier there, um, with like bandages all over my hands, carrying this giant, like kind of looks like a check, kind of doesn't, but nobody knows what it is. And so, yeah, you get all these crazy looks. A couple people did deduce. They were like, did you race? And I was like, yeah, okay. So when we had Riley Brady on the show, they told us how they got their ticket home to the East Coast after winning it at Havelina. And so I took their advice and I asked the flight attendant in first class if I could put my golden ticket there. And they said, yes. So I got to bring it home to Portland. Love it. What about for you, Meg? Yeah, I actually had a pretty surprisingly smooth experience with it. Like going through security, I like brought it over to them. I was like, hey, I have this thing. I don't know like where you want me to put it. And the first guy was like, oh, yeah, like, I know what that is. And he handed it to his um, partner. And the partner was like, what is this? And he's like, it's Western States, obviously. Um, like They like knew what it was somehow. Um, and then just going to the, like, actually in the plane, same kind of thing. I just asked the flight attendant and they're like, oh, yeah, we can throw it in this closet here. Um, but it was cool because sitting, waiting at the gate, I had a woman come up to me and she was like, she was like, I saw you hobbling around and then I saw the ticket. My husband's a really big fan of the sport. And so I like think I know what that is. Is that the Western States ticket? And I was like, yeah, it was really cute. And then when I was actually getting on the plane, um, there was a man behind me and I just hear him go, no way. He's like, is that a golden ticket? And I was like, oh yeah. Like, did you race? And he was like, no, I didn't, but I'm just a huge fan of the sport. Um, he's like, I've paced friends in a couple ultras before. He's like, that's so Love amazing. It. He's so stoked. Um, yeah, so everyone was really stoked about it, which was really cool. I mean, I got to watch the race in person, like play out this weekend. And I've got to say, like, just like listening to you both rehash it brings like so much perspective and kind of clarity to, I think people get caught up in the results or like in the aid station splits and getting to like hear from you both it's so much more than the results. It's so much more than those aid station sp- splits. So thank, thanks for like sharing with everyone how your, how your day actually played out out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think these days the races are so competitive, so it can be really easy to just look at, you know, who got first, second or third, not understand like what kind of mental fortitude it took to get there. Like Meg's story was pretty darn cool of how much 
mental strength and also patience she had as such a young runner to just wait until her time was right and she felt good and, and to charge to get there. That was just, it was really cool. That's not what you hear in those race recaps. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it never results are, are cool, but they never paint the full story. So I really, really appreciated that from both of you. And to kind of round things out, we got to give a shout out to the other major supporter of our podcast. That is the feed. We love them. I'm actually, um, we mentioned our water bottles that are coming out with them last week. I actually just placed an order today and I'm going to get my bottle. Um, if you go to the landing page and again, that's www.thefeed.com slash trail society there, you can claim a $15 credit. Um, it, you get a $15 credit every quarter. So it's actually worth $60 over the course of the year. And it'll actually be auto applied to your account every 90 days, which is really slick. So you can use it on a new order. And then if you order over $65 with a product, you get a free water bottle, a free trail society water bottle. And they're really cool and they're really beautiful. And you can put your name on the side of them so that your significant other can't steal them because they'll want to, because they're <laughs> that, they're that cool. Um, but yeah, I just placed a feed order today. I've got like several packs of waffles coming. Um, we have been really digging like the mud water kind of like adaptogen, like mm. fake coffee stuff. So cool. Order some of that. It's really nice. Um, when we're like, when Steven's working nights or when I'm like working later for commentary stuff, just to not be like drinking coffee constantly, really, really loving it. Um, but yeah, placed that order today and was like, yes, I do want that water bottle with my name on it. Yeah. And this link will be in our show notes, but also when you do order your water bottle, you have to tag us in it on our new Instagram trail.society and tag all three of us. That's fine. Cause we want to see you using the bottles in real life because they're so pretty. <laughs> I could not agree more. So again. Mm -hmm. That's www.thefeed.com slash trail society. Go claim that credit. Go claim that water bottle. We can't wait to see them out in the wild. And I guess to wrap things up, truly, we have the society slam. And Keely, you are going to be the society slammer today. You've got a few things pulled up on your end, and I can't wait to hear from the community. Yeah, so I'm just going to go ahead and read through one comment and then one kind of call out that I have found recently that I think are really, it made a big impression on me. Um, so here's one from one of our fans who told us basically that she, this is just a shout out one, that they want us to print a shirt that talks about having difficult daughters. I love it. Here, here's <laughs> the difficult daughters. Be, exactly. A nice new hashtag. Um, and then the second one is that ATRA, so American Trail Running Association, tagged us in their most recent post comparing courts to um, WADA mm -hmm. and started deep diving in the need for, you know, a call for clean sport. And so it's really cool. We are a very small podcast, but I do think we have a really strong fan base. And when people retweet or repost our episodes and we're calling out these issues, it's just bringing it to the limelight. And so it's really cool to see bigger organizations, you know, crediting us for at least bringing it to their awareness um, because it is something we need to change for the sport. And so thank you for bringing that up. ATRA um, it's definitely something that the sport needs. Yeah. And we're actually, we had our first anti-doping working group meeting today for the PTRA, the pro trail running association. 
we're working on both in competition testing, but predominantly we really want to focus on out of competition testing and education for athletes, managers, coaches, and teams. Um, and so we just had our first meeting for it this morning. And while there's a lot of unknowns still about how to do it and what orgs we need to use and, and who's going to hold the money because it's going to cost a lot of money to get this thing off the ground. Um, it was really, it's just really promising to have a bunch of athletes who really want to see this thing happen. Um, so we will be making change and while it might not be immediate, I like think that it's going to help protect the integrity of our sport at the professional level, which does trickle down to everyone over the next, you know, several decades. So it's really, really cool. So thanks. Thanks ATRA for calling out our rants because they're important. (laughs) Yeah. And they, and it just, we need to be, all the voices need to be elevated in this space because it it needs to change. And so thank you for elevating that hours. Yeah. And so I guess without further ado, I guess I've got one, I've got one ask for all of you. If you're listening to this, if you've made it this deep into the podcast, that you're still here with us, just like waiting for, I don't know, some sort of nugget of wisdom to be dropped. Um, please, can you go to whatever, whatever podcast platform you, you use, Spotify, Apple, et cetera. Can you go leave a review and like, give us all the stars. I don't even know how many stars you can give six, eight, 10, whatever. Give us all the stars, leave a review, share this with your friends. It really does help the podcast. It helps more people find the podcast. Um, it really does. It, it means a lot to us. So thank you. If you're here, please go do it. Just, just pa- pause it now, pause it now, right now and go leave that review. Um, otherwise until next time, we'll see you out on the trails. Bye.